Welcome to Brotherly Pod. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. And uh, famous date there in Flyers history. Ten years ago today, Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were traded. And Ilya Brzgala was signed. And it's been on a downward spiral ever since. <laughs> I, I believe this is also one of the uh, Scott Hartnell trade for uh, RJ Umberger. Which uh, oh, God, was that's just awful. another glorious deal. <laughs> Yeah. Dan, you're making me <laughs> depressed, man. Come on now. <laughs> Some bitter news to start the show, I guess. But uh, Anthony is here as always. Anthony, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Bit of a late night last night. You know, for us here on the East Coast, it was late staying up for that game. But for our guest today, he probably got to bed at a decent hour, <laughs> all things considering. Well, our guest today, a returning guest, Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. Dennis, how are you doing? Dan the man and ADM. What's going on, man? Let's talk some hockey. Well, uh, as I mentioned at the start, the Richards-Carter trades, obviously Richards was to the Kings. Uh, Do you have any memories of that day being out there in L.A.? Yeah, I think that was like Dean Lombardi's first step towards championship play. Like He knew he needed a player like Mike Richards to win a title. So there was a lot of excitement, a lot of, you know, we had a, back when we had press conferences in person. So uh, it was, it was like, you could see Dean strutting around saying like, this is one of the guys I'm going to need to win a championship. So there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype. Um, and for the organization, right, looking back, it was a, a great day to acquire Mike. It didn't end well here in Los Angeles. But on that day, it was uh, something we say, OK, Dean and the Kings are serious here about building a winner. You know, thinking back to it, they give up Brain Shen. And at the time, everyone was saying, oh, he's the best player not in the NHL. What yeah. was it like giving up on a prospect like that? And now in the world of social media, how do you think that fans nowadays who are so infatuated with prospects would react yeah. to such a trade? Yeah, the fifth overall pick, sure. people. I, I, but I'd seen Braden Shen play for – he had his cup of coffee in the league, and I wasn't, frankly, that impressed. And he's turned into a nice player, right? He's won a cup in, in St. Louis. But I don't think anybody had a problem with it because – you know, unlike other markets, you needed name brand recognition here, right, to get people's attention because it's so competitive, the sports landscape, right? The Dodgers, the Lakers, the success they've had, right? The Rams, well, actually, back then the Rams weren't here anymore. But um, so to the, I think it got people's attention and saying, okay, this is a serious move by a team that has never won a Stanley Cup, and maybe this will end the drought, and eventually it did. So, yeah, I think it was greeted with a lot of, yeah, to answer your question, I think it wouldn't, 
it wasn't dealt with the angst of trading a fifth overall pick for a veteran player. And you know, I've always said, like, I, I want proven for for prospects every time. So I think it was it was well received. But you have a very very good point about uh, the outcry. You know, you know, it, it, today if the same trade was made. Well, we'll fast forward to today. They were 21-28-7 during the regular season. And uh, it seems like they got hot and cold throughout the year. Did the Kings finish about where you expected them to? Yeah, I didn't expect them to be a playoff team, Dan. I, I really didn't. I think there were too many gaps in talent between them and, and playoff teams. And that came to fruition. Look, they were in it for... They were in it for about 40, 45 games, but then the offense was just just suffered too much. There weren't a lot of injuries. They are actually relatively healthy. They traded away Jeff Carter, and he caught fire in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, it, it, they landed – I thought they would be in the running for the first overall pick as opposed to making the postseason. Now, that's a different story once we get to next season because I think this is a really a do-or-die season for, for Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille with respect to making the playoffs. But, yeah, they landed where I expected is because when you look at their offense, Dan, it's just it's not enough quality there um, to make the postseason. So they have just a shade under $41 million in cap space available to them. Obviously, several free agents left to yeah. sign on their roster – but we've heard them possibly tied to Eichel, but your colleague, the mayor, may have thrown a bit cold water on that. Do you think Jack Eichel is a possibility? And if not him, what other big names could the Kings look to go after this offseason? Well, they got to go big, Anthony. I mean, I've said that for, I said it last season, but they've been very patient. Rob Blake has been the most patient general manager, I think, in the league. He's really made one big move with respect to acquisitions, and that was the evil uh, Elon Kovalchuk free agent signing, which blew up in his face. So I, I could understand that maybe he's a little reticent to, to do it again, but he needs to, he needs, and he said it, I asked him specifically in the end of uh, season media uh, availability, like he said, I said, well, is this team, the way it's personally constituted good enough to make the postseason next year? Because the, the division will be le- weaker, right? Colorado's leaving, Arizona's leaving, Minnesota's leaving, uh, the Canadian teams are coming back in and the only really the dangerous team would be Edmonton, Calgary, and, and Vancouver. You know, can't get out of their own way. And Seattle's coming in. Like, so you would think they'd have a punch of chance. But he knows he has to upgrade the talent here. And this is the year that you have the cap space. You have the, the certainly have the prospects, right? We keep hearing about their, their great prospects. They really haven't developed at the NHL level yet. And I saw Quentin Byfield for six games. He he looks like a real good player. He didn't, wasn't really productive, but it's too much of a it's too small of a sample size. So to answer your question, look. Love John. He's my partner on the uh, on Kings of the Podcast podcast, but he was fed that intel. Do I think that's the, the case? No, I think they still might be interested. Now, are they interested in trading Quentin Byfield and three other prospects or picks for him? No, so, and I get that. I understand it. And and for the time that Elliot Freeman went on WGR and said that, you know, if John said that, that's, you know, 0% chance it didn't happen. Well, that you know, a couple of days later, Elliot went on WGR again and said, there are people out there who things are think the Kings are absolutely lying about not being interested in Jack Eichel, and I think the Kings need to be interested in every high value uh, forward on the team. They need two top six forwards. If you traded Quentin Byfield and got Jack Eichel, uh, and you had Kopitar and Eichel um, one two, like you're a playoff team, right? So, so that's that. That's my answer to that. But look, it's not about whether he fits or what the cost is. It's totally about Jack Eichel's health, and we had that period of time where. You know, Jack had has the herniated disc in his neck. 
the, the process was, let's do rehab, see how the rehab goes, and, and then we can declare me healthy, maybe does the surgery, whatever. And we've never gotten any more intel on that. So we really don't know how healthy Jack Eichel is. Right? And if you want to do that risky surgery where only UFC's guys have done it successfully, like, yeah, there's a question mark there. So while I advocate for the Kings to trade for Eichel, and I would do whatever it takes to get him because when he's healthy, he's a 35, 45-plus player. Right. Uh, if he's not healthy, I don't make the deal. So what does that do? That you, you look at some other options. You know, you look in the free agency market. Uh, but uh, again, you know, is it a Jane Schwartz? You know, do they look at maybe Jake DeBrusque who's out of favor in Boston? Do they look at Ryan and Jim Hopkins who may or may not come back to to Edmonton? So there's there's opportunity. Let's put it this way, Anthony. The Kings can make any trade or sign any free agent this offseason. The question is. Who will they do that with and who will be the impact players that they need? Because they certainly need more impact players. So that's my kind of like 30,000 foot view of what the Kings should be doing in the offseason. You uh, touched upon their lack of offense, and that's something I found kind of stunning when I was taking some notes here. Is it doesn't seem like anybody was producing a whole lot besides Andre Kopitar. They were 27th yeah. in the league in goals for. Is that by design or is their offense just that shallow? Um. Well, if you're going to be patient and wait for all these great prospects to come up and score 40 goals, I guess it's okay, right? I mean, Dustin Brown had a really good season. Well, and, and the other challenge, Dan, is that Dustin Brown had, I think, 17 goals this year, and that would be the equivalent of like a 40-goal season. You know, at 36 years old, is Dustin Brown going to be a 40-goal scorer? Maybe not, right? He might If he's yeah. 25, then we're going to find more offense. The problem is is that after their top line, their bottom nine is just – and I, I – People have accused me of picking on this guy, but Gabe Velarde was supposed to come in and be the 2C and be the guy and be the call to winner, and Martin Furk was supposed to score 20. But Dan, at the end, beginning of the season, like their second line was Adrian Kempe, Gabe Velarde, and Martin Furk. And I said on our podcast, that's probably the worst second line in hockey. It's <laughs> certainly not a second line that you can make the playoffs with. Yeah. And Martin Furk wound up not scoring a goal. Gabe Velarde regressed. As much as Kings fans don't want to hear it, he regressed. He did not play well. And Adrian Kempe had a decent season. So I, I think it's it's not by design. It's the, the problem is, Dan, is that to me, um, yes, they have all these great prospects and they look really good. I like, but are they impact players? Are they is there a 25 to 30 goal score in that group? I don't think it's Alex Turcott. He didn't have he had a, a, a good season at the end of the season uh, in the AHL. Maybe it's already, you know, uh, uh, it, it, maybe it, it, it's uh, Kaliev, but I, I don't know. To be honest with you, already came up first game, scored a goal. We never saw him again. So my question is, in this season, are, are these kids ready? Is Quentin Byfield ready? You know, hey, look, not for nothing. It, they could send Quentin Byfield back to juniors this year. I don't think they will, but there's there's too many question marks for me, Dan, to say, okay, this guy you can slot in for X amount of goals. Like, we just don't know. You know we have other guys like Sammy Fagel. There's a ton of process. That's why I've advocated you should have played a lot more of these kids in the season, really ascertain that they could play at the NHL level, and then make the moves to make trees to bring in you know, talent, to bring in established talent. Like, the, the Kings fans are afraid of trading these players because we still don't know if they're at the NHL level. Oh, if we trade Arthur Kaliev, he may come. Third, he may be the next Patrick Lani. I don't know. Who knows? That's that's the issue. That's a challenge, Dan. So for me, like I would always be willing to 
heart with some of these prospects because you know it's not like you don't get any more prospects there. And like the Kings have their first, they have two seconds, they have two thirds. They have so much flexibility here that I think the fans would be really disappointed, as I would be, if there aren't major moves to prop up their offense. So was it by design? Well, if you believe in the plan and you believe in the patience that Rob Blake has, then you really didn't mind it. It was supposed to be a transition year to get them within reach of the postseason. They really weren't a playoff team. But this is the this is the defining moment for the organization with this regime, Dan. They have to make the postseason this year because you just can't you know manage a team in perpetuity and think you're going to be able to manage a team consistently if, if you miss the playoffs again for the fourth straight season. Well, you just listed off so many, you know, on paper great prospects, like guys like Byfield and Turcotte and Bjornfoot, Kaliev, Kale yeah. Clegg, Kapari, Akil Thomas, like Velarde. You can make the case that no team has as much currency as the Kings when it mm-hmm. comes to young talent. But I remember once when you were on SiriusXM Radio and you said something that stuck out to me and you said, prospects are great and what mm-hmm. was it, winning is better? Yeah, right, yeah. Like, prospects are cool rings are cooler right so they've got to get and and the the problem is anthony is that when you watch them play at the end of the season against the vegas or colorado and maybe you're not trying to get to that top of the you know division of the west next season but there's a there's a gap there's a talent gap now me and to me my challenge to these people are that that say oh you know you should stay patient not make trades you look at every single contender you look at Colorado, you look at Vegas, you look at all of them. Like, how many trades have these teams made to be a contender? You look at t- Colorado. They traded for four defensemen. You know, they traded for Graves. They traded for Taves. They traded for Sam Gerrard. They traded for a lot of talent. You look at Tampa, as great as they are, they traded, except for the, the top six, they traded for five or signed as a free agent, five of their six def- defensemen. Hedman's the only one that's homegrown. So to think that you can take this core of Kopitar, Brown, Ayafalo, Dowdy, and Quick, and and just have everybody else magically come up through the system and make it a contending team. Anthony, it doesn't happen that way. You have to make a multitude of trades to make that happen, and they haven't made any. They've made, with all the trades they've made, and they've sent away a lot of good talent, and had somebody in the media call me up last week and say, hey, you know what? The Kings have a lot of players who are doing well in the postseason. How come they were bad in Los Angeles? And I said, well, you know, maybe it was a it was time for a change of scenery, like a, a Tyrell Toffoli. But to me, they have to start making these deals because, again, you just don't do it with five core players and a bushel full of prospects. It's not how you win in the NHL, so they really have to be aggressive in the trade market and identify these players to go because to think that these players are just going to magically come up and fit in. And plus, they have too many centers. Like in the system, they've got Byfield, they've got Kupari, Turcock can play center. They have Velarde still. Like you don't play like seven centers. Like maybe you know Vegas should play seven centers because they can't score either now all of a sudden. But but to me that that's that's the issue. It's like it's got to be a blend of players. And I mentioned all the players that went away, right? Uh, Toffoli, Martinez, um, Jake Muzzin, Clifford. Like you sent all these players away. There's one player on the roster currently like active player from the results of those trades, and that's Trevor Moore. So you sent away all that talent, and the only established player you got back is is Trevor Moore. I mean, me, I wouldn't have been that patient. I would have been more aggressive, but yeah, I'm, I haven't ever said that, hey, Rob shouldn't be running the team or it's a bad plan or whatever, but this has got to be the season, guys, where you have at least two or three of these prospects really emerge to at least – not look, on defense, they're – 
they're decent. Bjornfoot's been good. Mikey Anderson, I love. But offensively, you're gonna have a couple. Yeah, gotta have a couple of these guys emerge to help this team score goals next season. I think a lot of what you're saying about the Kings kind of matches up with the Flyers. Obviously, the younger guys are a little older here. Uh, yeah. But you know, the 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 building from within, and you need that exterior help, and that's kind of the precipice the Flyers are at right now. Is you know, yes. you went you went as far as this current group can take you. You need that exterior right help, and, and that right. mix. I mean, it, it's it's what cup winning teams do. They have to go out there and they find the right guys and add them. You just cannot build strictly from within. Yeah, you got to take some risk, then. It's going to take risk. It's going to th- people going to question the moves, but you can't worry about what the media, the fans are going to say. But but it, it just Dan, nobody's that good of a talent evaluator, and nobody's that lucky to make all these picks of eighteen-year-old players and think they're going to blossom into stars. And yeah. like in Philadelphia, like you got a number two overall pick who changed agents and wants to leave. So you can't just bet. Just you can't read your press clippings about how great your your prospects are and think you're going to have ten guys come up and develop and fill all the holes in your team. It just doesn't happen. And it's crazy, right? Because so many of these fans, like, I think it's because they just expect kids to translate seamlessly from producing like they did in the OHL or the WHL or the NCAA into the NHL. Mm -hmm. But now you're seeing it firsthand, DB, out in L.A. Like, what makes it so tough for these prospects to, you know, really hit the ground running in the NHL? And I think Byfield is a perfect example of that. Well, because... Anthony, you don't know when these players are going to hit their stride. You don't know when a 19-year-old Arthur Kaliev is going to really be productive in the NHL. Who's he going to play with? Who are his line mates? Quentin Byfield is still 18 years old. And he's still young. I get it. But, you know, when I saw him play six games, I was like, okay, this guy could have played this season in the NHL. He could have played earlier, and I get it. They didn't want to burn the entry-level deal, and you know, the first year of the entry-level deal, which I don't buy for a second because, like, if you're trying to win and he's one of your best 23 players, like, you're worried about three years from now paying him when he's going to be a restricted free agent with no arbitration rights? That's it? You think, like, you think he's going to be, like, a Kale McCarr situation? You know what? And 24-25, if that's where you are, like, you should be thankful, right? So, to me, I would have liked to see him get a full season under Todd McClellan, yeah, understand what it's like to play in the NHL because remember the six games he played they were basically meaningless games so to me it's a question of timing right like they talk well about Erasmus Kapari he's 21 years old you know what 21 years old for a prospect AD it, th- that's kind of old right yep. so it, like so so there are players here that really may, need to make the leap but again it's like you can't tell me like what the timing is of these players. That's the issue. That's the problem. Does Tyler and Madden need another year in the AHL? What about Turcotte? It's like, you don't know. It's a guessing game. Like you hope that it happens, but that's why, again, if you traded for a Jack Eichel or you traded for a Sam Reinhardt, you would know if you put Sam Reinhardt on the Kings next year, he'd score 25 to 30 goals playing with Andre Kopitar. You would know that. You don't know that with Alva Kaliev or Alex Turcotte or even Quentin Byfield. And that's the challenge for this team is that, like, who do you move? Because you have to move. You, again, you're not going to have all these players make the team. So what do you do? They love Akil Thomas. He's like a, a depth guy who's like a Swiss Army knife. But again, you hear all these names. And then I look at this, I'm saying, like, this would be historical to have all these names make the team and, and progress to be legitimate NHL players. It just doesn't work out. You look at the – look, you look at the Ryan O'Reilly trade. How bad was that for Buffalo, right? So that's yeah. the other – so there's, there's a risk involved. You have to be able to take risk. But I think the Kings are at a point in time where they understand they need to take the risk because, again, I don't think ownership you know, going forward is going to accept you know, con- you know, continuing not to make the playoffs, hearing all the hype about these prospects. 
Well, it seems like we're only about a month away from the uh, expansion draft here. How are the Kings uh, getting ready to approach uh, the the protection lists and uh, their new yeah. rival in Seattle? Yeah, I think they're going to go seven and three, Dan. So I think the guy that you would look at probably would be um, Kel Clegg, who uh, didn't get a big run with with Todd McClellan. He wasn't really a favorite of Todd this season, but he's a, a puck-moving defenseman, still a legitimate prospect. He's probably going to be the guy, or unless they want to go to a forward, maybe an Austin Wagner or, or Matt Luff, one of those players. But I think it's going to be look at Kel Clegg. So they're, they're comfortable. And remember, the one benefit, Dan, of having all these prospects is they're not eligible for the expansion draft. So they're not worried about you know losing it. And, you know, my, my theory has always been like if you're losing your 11th best player, you should be fretting over it and giving up a second or first round pick to protect another player, to protect your, your 11th best player. So they're they're comfortable in what they're doing. They'll probably protect. Well, they, they should protect Dowdy. They'll protect uh, Roy and they'll protect Walker. There, uh, they still need to make a trade for a defenseman. To be honest with you, we've talked so much about their forwards. So they go with that. With respect to Seattle, uh, I I can't believe that. All these GMs are going to make the same mistakes they made with Vegas and gave away all this this talent. Now, granted, some of these guys you never like, and, and I know people complain about the expansion rules and how it really favored Vegas and they got really good players. My one response to that, Dan, is Marcia So and Riley Smith are both on the playing for their fourth team. So there's plenty of opportunities to hold on to that those players and sign them and keep them on your team. So the fact that they got to their fourth team and now they're excelling, well, okay. Like, don't tell me it really favored them. They did an exceptional job. And to be frank, Dan, Vegas was far more is the opposite of L.A. Look how aggressive Vegas has been. Right? They, they went out and made big trades, made big signings, and it's paid off for them. So with respect to Seattle, I, I don't think they look at Seattle as, as an issue with respect to that. Like, you know, they'll probably have Rick Tockett as a coach. Um, they'll have a decent team. And my one question, Dan, is like, who's the starting goaltender for, for Seattle opening night? To me, that's the big question. Is it going to be a guy like Mark Andre Fleury? Not him specifically, but is it going to be a quality guy? Is it going to be a career backup? I'm not really sure. So, But I think that all the GMs have their antennas up and saying, okay, we're not going to create a situation for Seattle like we did for Vegas. To take it from more of a league-wide approach, we obviously know that Jones is going to be on the move. Eichel's going to be on the move. Hamilton's yeah. allowed to talk to other teams. But now the OEL stuff has kind of resurfaced, and that's close to where you're at at West do you think it's going to be another situation like last summer where he kind of ties the hands of um, Bill Armstrong where it's either Vancouver or Boston? Do yeah. you think that he'll expand that list? Do you think that maybe L.A. could be a player because they maybe have a, a need for a yeah. left-shot defenseman? How do you see it playing out? Uh, I, I don't I don't see him being – if the Kings are going to acquire a 30-year-old defense, 31-year-old defenseman, I trade for – a 30-plus defenseman, I trade for Chris Letang in Pittsburgh. I wouldn't be trading for OEL because if you look at OEL's numbers, like they were they were pretty bad. This year, to be honest with you, the guy I would be trading for, and I would leverage the whole farm for, would be would be Chikrin. <laughs> He's my guy, but they're never going to get him out of Arizona. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't I think what's going to happen this year was going to be different. Like last year, it was two teams. I think the understanding now in Arizona is like they'll go into the market, they'll they'll try to strike a deal, they'll bring OEL the deal, and he can he will consider it, may or may not accept it and move on. So so the landscape is greater. He's, he's working with them a little bit more to do that, but it doesn't mean that, that any deal they strike would be a deal that, you know, he would accept. So I think it's a, it's a little easier for Armstrong uh, this year because it's not a market of two teams. But again, th there's no guarantee that whatever deal they do find in the marketplace, like if they, they wanted to trade him to, I don't know, Columbus 
right? I'm not sure he'd go to Columbus. So again, it's going to be totally leveraged on what OEL wants to do. And if I'm, when I look at his statistics and I look at his advanced numbers this year, I'm not leveraging the farm to trade for OEL. Uh, if you think you're a contending team and he's the final part in a championship puzzle, then fine. But other than that, I'm not surrendering a lot for this player. It's, it's a high price tag, and I think he's declining in his, with respect to his uh, effectiveness on the ice. I mentioned the Kings are going to look for you know a couple big players. Are there any names in particular that they're going to look at this year? Yeah, I, I think in free agency, I think um, Jaden Schwartz would be a, a nice option. I don't think Dougie Hamlin because they, they really need a left side defenseman. So I, I, I yeah, I think Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Although people like you know are, are they, they're so polarized with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Some people think that he could be really effective away from Edmonton, and other people saying, well, look, he didn't really produce in Edmonton. Um, he can play center. He can play wing. He's really fast. He's 28 going on 29. I like him personally. I, I think he would do well here. So I think that's another option for them. Um, for, in the trade market, look, I think there's there's one guy in Philly that they would look at would be uh, Travis Sanheim. You can have he him. Would sell, yeah, okay, yeah. No, thanks. You, you sure about that? You didn't hesitate. Well, he would be a left side partner for Drew Doughty. I mean, that would be a legitimate trade. So it depends on the deal. So I think that that's, a, that's an opportunity there. Maybe a Vince Dunn. Out of uh, out of St. Louis because he's kind of fell out of favor there. He's a little bit injured this year, so there are options here. I don't th- uh, with respect to swinging big. I-, I go back to Buffalo. I think that's the team that you look at, and there's three options. And look, I, if they're going to trade, if they're going to draft Owen Power first, Dan, then would Rasmus Dahlin be available on a deal? Um, to me, and I know his numbers have been horrible, and maybe he's regressed a little bit, but. Damn, I'd put him with Drew Doughty in a second, and I'd pay the price to get that guy out of there. Now, the other guys that might move is Reinhardt, Ristolainen is probably going to go to New Jersey. They really like him there, which you can have him because I feel the same way about Ristolainen that you probably do about Sanheim. So there is opportunity to be aggressive here. So I think it's a blend here in Los Angeles of what they really need to do is one big free agent signing and one big trade. That's what they need to do. And then you take your chances in the middle of the pack next season in the West. So... It is what year five of the Robitaille Blake era, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, four. four. Year four, and they've already moved on to their third head coach. Well, I mean second because Willie Desjardins was really just yeah. a stopgap. But do you think that there is a growing sense of pressure on this, pardon me, regime to really get the job done and make the aforementioned moves that you were just alluding to? Yeah, there, I think there's a lot of pressure. You won't know externally. Because the owner is a recluse and really doesn't is lives in Denver, Phil Banshutes, and he doesn't really say anything. He's not Tom Dundon. He's not Mark Cuban. So you would never know. But I, I think just internally, and you're talking about Robotime, like two Hall of Famers, two guys who've won cups. Like they want to win. They hate losing. So this is the time. And they laid out a plan. And and you probably lay out a five-year plan and you're getting into year four and you're not making the postseason. I think there's jeopardy there. I, I think that again. It, the ownership is very hands-off here. And Dan Beckerman's the CEO of AEG. He's not really that visible as well. So they basically handed them the keys to the castle and said, okay, like give, give us a winner. Well, and, and the other troubling thing, Anthony, is that when you look at the TV ratings, they're in the bottom five for TV ratings. They, they, again, it, it goes back to the fact, and I've said, like, you got to get people's attention. They, they need to be relevant in this market. And with these players that, you know, the, the core players haven't won in seven years. And the young kids are still aren't here. You got to make a splash. You got to get people's attention. You got to bring people back in the building. My concern is, to me, I'm going to wonder what opening night's going to look like from an attendance standpoint, 
because there's not really much to sell right now. Now, it could be an entirely different story a month from now, Anthony, where they make big moves and they get people's attention. And I think internally they know they need to do that. They, they know that, that, that this process of building the infrastructure and getting in – Getting cap space and dealing with players and getting prospects and multiple picks, that's fine. That set the stage. But now you have to step on the stage. You have to make your moves, and they have to work. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely pressure from themselves to perform. But, again, I, I don't think you just get a free pass here forever. And you know, and Todd's in year three. The other thing is I really like Todd McClellan as a coach. Some people don't. Some people do. I think he's been great. Um, but you got to give him the horses. Like you can't give them, like Dan said, the 27th ranked offense and expect them to make the postseason. You just can't do it. And there's not, but there's nobody. There were no breakthrough performances this year. To going back to Dan's question about the, the offense, nobody broke through. Yeah, Adrian Kempe had his best year, but there was no player. There was no, and this might be unfit. There's no Kaprizov. There's no, you know, Robertson in Dallas. There was no person that there's no player that broke through and say, okay. This player we can count on next season, and he's just been established. So I think that's where they stand right now. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of pressure on this organization to make the postseason next year. Maybe it's not a mandate, but, you know, if you, don't do, if you have another season like this season, I don't know, maybe there's a change in the front office. What's going on in their, uh, in their net? Is Peterson the guy now and is Quick, you know, potentially on the block, or is that contract going to be too hard to move? Yeah, I don't think Dan. I think they're going to go with what they have, and they have depth in the in the um, in, in the system with respect to guys like Matt Vallada and uh, some other guys in the system, uh, Louis uh, Lucas Parikh. So I don't think they're going to make a move here. I, I don't think that you know you would certainly think that Peterson's going to be protected in the expansion draft, and um, yeah, Quick will be exposed. But I don't see Quick being selected here. I mean, they would they would probably welcome it at this point in time because John did not have a good season. But I think they're going to go with what they have. Um, if they would lose Quick in the expansion draft then they would go out in the market because you know there's always now the good thing about being you know a goaltender is you know you're always going to have a job so there's probably five or six different options in the free agent market they could replace Jonathan Quick with but I think you'll see the same tandem uh, start next year maybe you peek at one of their the kids in the system as we get toward the end of the season if they're not in contention so last one for you DB so much of what you've said today applies to the Flyers and we'll end it with <laughs> your perspective on that about, you know, they've been tied to maybe Seth Jones, potentially yeah. to Jack Eichel. Do you think this is a franchise much like Los Angeles that really needs to make a splash and get the casual fans back invested in the product? Well, I, I think on paper, they're a better team. Like, they, they have Giroux. They have Vortex. I mean, they, to me, here's what they should do. And I've said this for the last two weeks. They should be calling on every single defenseman that's available, either by trade or or by free agency. That's what they should be doing, exploring every single deal. Because, I'm sorry, I, I didn't think that Matt Niskanen would be the lichpin to make this the wor <laughs> one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And that's what they were. It was atrocious. Right? So, so you've got to be in on everybody. You've got to make inquiries. So to me, yeah, you can make moves. And to me, like, what's the question? Like, how do you trade for Jack Eichel? Like, to me, and I've suggested this, which I don't think would happen, I think you call up Ron Francis and say, you know, what's it going to take? The, the one move that you that I would replicate, like what happened with Vegas, like what would it take for you guys to take Jake Voracek? That's that's what I would do. Like that would that would really because where are you going to fit the ten million dollars in here if you really got to improve your defense? To me, that's the question. And the other issue is, I think they're better off in net than 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 Philly. Like, who's going to be supporting Carter Hart? Like what happened with Carter Hart? Like that's again, that's you know. Blue line and back, it was atrocious. Like I couldn't watch. The, I felt sorry for the team. 
Like I would watch them. I'm like, what the, what happened here? Right. And is it AV's fault? I don't know. I think it's execution. So to me, what Chuck Fletcher has got to do, um, he's got to be aggressive. You know, is Gostas Bear going to go to to Seattle? Probably. I, I, I mean, to me, that's the question with this team. Because remember, regardless of your forwards, you always build from the, the, the you know, the net out. And to them, they've really got to do some heavy lifting on a blue line if they think they're going to go back into the division next season and be a playoff team. So to me, that's the one big challenge. Yeah, you can make some moves up front. I get it. I understand that. You, Nolan Patrick wants to leave. But for me, you got to take all the assets and explore every single move to make that defense better because that's where the problem is. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Dennis, thank you very much for taking time of your day and talking to us. And uh, stay safe out there. No problem, Dan and Thanks for the time. Appreciate being on Brotherly Pod. Yep. Talk to you soon, DB. Take care. All right. That was Dennis Bernstein. That's LA Kings talk. And uh, it, it is astonishing how much he said about the Kings that, that lined up with, with the Flyers. And the thing about all of that is, is the Flyers are probably two or three years further along in their collective rebuild than the Kings are. And they seem to be stuck at the exact same pattern of, you know, you know, being stuck with the players you have, your guys aren't performing, you waited all this time for these prospects, and now they're just kind of meh, and uh, now it's time to go out and swing for the fences, and uh, I think he's right, they need to build from the, the blue line out, and no price is too high for some of these guys, you know, as much as it unlikely it is to get, you know, Hamilton and Jones, that's kind of what needs to happen, you know, you need some serious, substantial shakeups on that blue line. And um, I believe you talked about it yesterday on Twitter about, you know, the the putting asses in seats and, you know, the business side of things. And I know a lot of people scoff at the idea of TV ratings for some reason and and, and attendance and stuff. Oh, it doesn't matter. It does. You know, at the end of the day, hockey's a business. And the Flyers are so stale from their own families. I believe it was Snow the Goalie that put out a bunch of screenshots um, from Flyers Facebook. They had an ad there promoting... Uh, flyers ticket sales and it's just hundreds of people being like f you we're not paying for this shit and uh it's it's concerning when you see that because nobody wants to watch this stuff and you know they had trouble filling the building once the attendance opened back up and they were at 15 percent over the hell it was you know like and some of that could be pandemic and people didn't want to go out but it's not great that a once great legacy team like the flyers is just in this burnt state of shambles that they are now where nobody wants to pay to watch them and you need somebody like jack eichel or you know seth jones or hamilton or both you need to go big game hunting this year just to drum up interest you know when was the last time the flyers had that guy that people paid to see lindros maybe (laughs) 20 some years ago it's just, you need, to, I, Jack Eichel, listen, I know a lot of people talk about his injuries, and there probably is something there, but the fact that we don't know where he's at medically right now, and this is something I talked about on, on uh, Frequent Flyer on Sunday, like, we don't really know, there haven't been a clear timeline on what's going on uh, with that stuff, and I'm sure the inquiring teams are, you know, we see this on Twitter all the time, well, I don't want him because of neck injury, and it's like, you really think, Chuck Fletcher, that's not the first question that's going to be asked if he calls up, you know, Kevin Adams and wants to know what's going on, they're going to do their due diligence, if he's good to go, he's good to go, sure, there's always that risk, but he's the kind of guy this this team needs, just to, you know, have that attention, I'm sure you can go out and you can have a summer like they did in 2019, where you get you know, a Niskanen and Braun, and you fill holes kind of on the down low without doing it with any kind of creativity. 
and your team's going to be better, but it's not about that right now. It's not about just plugging holes. It's about giving this fucking franchise a new image, you know, kind of building up the glory days again and something to go for. Because right now, they have nothing. And it's going to take more than just a, a, a David Savard to make that happen. Well, that's a good point, right? Because theoretically, they can go out and do exactly what they did in 2019. Let's say you go out, you sign like Adam Larson, David Savard, uh, a middle of the road, let's say bottom six center, or even just say Sam Reinhart, and you come back with just those three players and the team will be better, probably get them back into the playoffs, but it's still the same old team. You're still going to get probably along the same lines, the same result as you got in 2020 in the bubble last year. And my thread that I put out on Twitter is that, you know, when thinking about it, and I'm not going to include Chris Pronger here because he was only with the team for what, two calendar years. And he only played at full health for one year. And he really was on the back nine at that point when he got here. But the last time that they brought in a star from outside the organization was Danny Breer in 2007. And that's the last time I can think of, of when this team brought in a player that became the face of the organization or one of the faces of the organization. You could argue that he became one of the team's most important forwards for the succeeding, what, five, six years, especially in the playoffs. And I think that's what this team needs. And like DB was saying, like, for God's sakes, like, we know you love prospects, but look at what the Los Angeles Kings have compiled over the past several years. Guys like Byfield, guys like Turcotte, Arthur Kaliev, like, the Flyers never had these high-end prospects. You know, maybe they had more quantity, but they didn't have the quality like these players. Maybe Ivan Provorov, maybe Carter Hart. But, I mean, I don't think they ever had a guy who projected to be, like, a byfielder and Alex Turcotte. No. I know he's kind of fallen off of Gabe Velarde as well. And he's even saying, no, it's go time. You've got you've to move here. And to your point that you made earlier, the way that the Kings and the Flyers operated their respective rebuilds almost kind of ran parallels. You know, they hung on to some players from the prior core. You know, they were locked into big contracts. The difference is, is that that core literally had won two Stanley Cup championships. So there was a bit of a track record to justify doing so. But I digress. But what I'm saying is, is that they need something fresh. The product is stale. And I said this as well. It doesn't mean that the team is bad. Because like I said, if you bring in a Reinhardt, a Larson, and a Savard for next season, it's probably going to be a good team. But it's still going to be stale. And for the casual fan, and you could speak to this more than me, you know, in or around that market where the Flyers are dead last behind the Phillies, Sixers, and Eagles, I think they need something more than just marginally improving the team and getting them back to just being an everyday playoff team. I mean, they're they're so far dead last here. I mean, they're behind the Phillies for Christ's sake. Like the Phillies suck. Okay, <laughs> like they you need something to put eyes in this product and. We kind of saw this in 1920 before before the pandemic started, where even though that team was better, 
they still were not even close to selling out the Wells Fargo Center. You know, the, they were the, still bland. The, the the product was bland. They were better on the ice. The results were better, but the building was like half empty. That's not good. You know, this team was top five in attendance for their entire history, and now they're struggling to put asses in the seats because it's so bad right now. You know, and and they can be better, but it's going to take a long time. Even people like me, you know, that that you know, spend every waking minute with this fucking team, you know, like I don't trust that they're going to be successful long term. You know, I'm not driving two hours down to Philadelphia and buying you know four hundred dollars and tickets and food and all this shit to watch them get blown out nine nothing to the Rangers. You know, they have to earn that trust from us. And then in respect to the casual fan, if they're not going to be guaranteed a win and they're not going to show up and watch Jack Eichel score, you know, eight goals a game, nobody cares. You know, it's not interesting. The Sixers are so successful right now because of Embiid. You know, he's so good that people pay to watch him play. And the Flyers don't have anybody like that. They don't have anybody close to anything like that. There's one other thing Davies, uh, DB said. Assess the talent of your prospects and then make trades based on the results. And I'm like, hello, that's how this is supposed to work, you know, yeah. and that we haven't seen that, you know, people like Konechny and Provorov, like there's this is going to be their sixth season. Sanheim's entering his fifth year and they're Jesus still Christ. here and they're just mediocre dudes. You know, Nolan Patrick, another perfect example. This fan base is in tears at the idea of losing Nolan Patrick. What has he ever fucking proven? You know, like you, you, you <laughs> teams like Tampa had great drafting and they did well, but they insulated those picks with guys like Ryan McDonough. You know, they made their team better with outside pieces. Nobody builds from within this Hextall mentality of every single draft pick is great and everything is great and everything is going to magically work out. It's bullshit. I don't know if you noticed, but Cat Friendly uh, put an acquired tab in there now. How players got there? There is uh, three, four signed players. Elliot, Braun, uh, Elliot Myers, rather. I'm looking at the wrong. Elliot Myers, Jackson Cates, JVR. The only four players the Flyers have signed outside the organization. Hayes as well, I would assume. Hayes oh, no, was via trade. Trades were Voracek, Hayes, and uh, Justin Braun. Everybody else on this fucking team was drafted at some point or another. And one of those trades was Voracek, which was 10 years ago. <laughs> From a GM who is now retired. Yes, two GMs ago. Yeah, well, that's what we've said. Like, the faces of this organization, Giroux, Couturier, Voracek, were brought in by the ge two general managers ago. And one of them, three general managers ago. Yeah. Quite literally. And, you know, again, for the hardcore fan and the super fan or local media you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, you don't need a superstar. You just got to make the product better. And that's not entirely false. But, like, look, I, I live in Canada, right? So I can bring more of a national or international perspective to the, to the situation here. And the Flyers are never talked about. And you even get teams like the Panthers who are talked about because they have Barkov and Huberto. Yeah. You know, you'll talk about the... Um, the uh, Phoenix or the Arizona Coyotes because they had OEL and now they have Jacob Chikrin. You know, you could talk about these other obscure franchises like the Minnesota Wild because they have um, Kaprizov. Like, 
having a superstar goes a long way for national attention. And you don't think national attention is important? Remember when we had Brian Hedger on and he said that's why he thinks a lot of these players want out of Columbus because nobody talks about them down there? You know, this is a real thing. Like, I know there are some players that just rather play in a random market, an obscure market. Like, maybe Phil Kessel's a good example of that. You know, couldn't take the heat in Toronto and played a backseat role in Pittsburgh and now just kind of lives the dream down in Arizona. But I think for the vast majority of players, players who really feed off of this energy, they look for pressure markets. They look for markets that actually value winning. So I think that the fact that the Flyers right now are viewed as just a random everyday market, I think that they've fast-tracked into being one of the more irrelevant teams since the 2013 lockout. I think that bringing in a guy like Jack Eichel or Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton is really becoming essential because, like I said, I've gone on record in saying that if you go get a Sam Reinhardt, Larson, Martinez slash Savard, you sign a backup like Allmark, maybe add a Bertuzzi, that's a playoff team, and maybe you get to the second round. But even though it's a good team, and you know, I feel like a broken record here, it's still a stale team because when people evaluate the Flyers, what are they going to be saying? Okay, well, you really need Giroux and Voracek and Katoria to pull their weight. They're the engines that drive this team. And we're still singing the same song and dance with just a better supporting cast than we were, let's say, in 2017-18. And again, remember what DB said. There's a succession plan. And I don't think that the Flyers have a succession plan right now to these guys. Like, I think Forster's going to be a nice player. You know, Farabee looks like he's going to be a solid first-line guy. But again, there's still no center ice position, you know, solidified with guys like Patrick and Frost being anything but certainties. So, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of boxes that Jack Eichel checks even beyond just the on-ice talent that he would bring. It just, it, it makes sense. And, you know, he makes sense. Sam Reinhart makes sense. Like, you need some serious help at forward and somebody like Eichel, you know, I know there are risks with the injury and I, 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 like I said, I have no idea what's going on. I don't think anybody really knows what's going on. It doesn't sound like there's been too much, you know, released to the public about the state of what is truly going on in his neck, but, uh, it's worth the risk right now. I don't know what that package is going to look like. It seems like every time I go on Twitter, it's something stupid like Goss's beer and Frost at a first or something. And like, yeah, I, like that one we saw yesterday. I'm just like, I would do it in a second, but it doesn't make any sense. Really hang up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, I, I think it's going to have to be a high price because so many teams are going to be in on him. You know, is it going to look like a Lindros deal? I don't know. Probably not. You know, but it's going to need to be substantial. Players like him do not become available every day, and the Flyers just need to go after somebody like that. And it's going to suck, and you're going to lose one of those favorite players that goes out there and makes faces all night long. Hi, Travis Kanaki. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, listen, imagine somebody like Jack Eichel playing with, you know, Joel Farabee and Claude Giroux. You know, you're going to get the best out of all three players in that scenario. And that's what you need. You know, you got you to start adding some legitimate talent here. Like I said, Konechny six seasons into his freaking career. He's not getting any better than he is now. He's a 24-goal scorer. That's it. Okay? It's not going to get better. He's not going to magically hit 50 goals one day. And if he does... Which isn't bad. No, it's fine. He's a perfectly fine middle six guy. But this is not your elite sniping scoring winger. You know? It's not going to happen. 
You, I guarantee I could pull up the free agent list right now, and a couple dozen of them probably have 24 goal seasons under their belt. It's not that huge of an achievement here in 2021, but uh, I don't know. I'll have to wait and see. I hope they do something. I, I, I talked about this with uh, Shane the other day. I don't think anything's going to surprise me this summer. If they go out there and they get Eichel and Ekman Larson and Jones and Hamilton, I don't think I'm going to be surprised because that's what they need to do. If they go out there and do absolutely nothing because Chuck Fletcher's a giant piss baby, I don't think that's going to surprise me either. And if they go out there and do something like they did in 2019, you know, with under-the-radar acquisitions that aren't going to make big splashes but are going to make the team better, that's not going to surprise me either. So, I don't know. I I don't know what to expect this summer, but uh, I hope it's big. I hope we sit here in, you know, two months from now and be like, this is it. This team's going to win this year. They made the right additions and we're good to go. But uh, 10 years of mediocrity and I'm uh, not going to put my eggs in that basket just yet. I'm expecting something along the lines of 2019 because when I've spoken to people in and around the organization, I've gotten the sense that they still are trying to bank on the, you know, the current pieces being the guys, you know, for lack of a better term. But then again, you know, who the fuck am I? Maybe they're just lying to my face. Maybe they're pulling a situation out in LA where DB said, maybe they're just, you know, um, they're lying, like that LA is actually interested in Eichel. So like, who knows? Because like you said, like, they're not stupid people. Like, you know, I did a one-on-one interview with Brent Flair. I've done a one-on-one interview with Mike Yo. These are very smart guys. I've spoken to them at length. They're in t- they're intelligent guys. They know what they need. It's just a question of whether or not the head honcho, Chuck Fletcher, will be able to pull off these moves and pay up the price. Because there's going to be a risk with everything here. Because the pieces that they need are substantial pieces that will bri- that will cost significant players. And for as much as we crap on, let's say, Sanheim or Myers or Konechny or these types of players, these are substantial pieces. You know, second pairing defensemen, second line right wings who can score 24 goals. Like, these are decent pieces. So if you're moving these guys, you know, you got to make sure it counts because... Do you think that there's any better currency via trade the Flyers have than guys like Sanheim and Myers and Travis Konechny? I have somebody on Twitter that gets angry at me every time I suggest a trade that's highlighted by Konechny and Sanheim because it's the only two options. But, like, that's legitimately their only two valuable trade ships are Konechny and Sanheim. You know, they're the young guys that can fit in well on a much deeper team than the Flyers and can play solid roles. And, like... None, nobody else, like, who are you going to trade? Nolan Patrick? What kind of potential does he have? You know, I guess Phil Myers is probably there as well. You can lump him in that category. But nobody else, everybody's either on gigantic contracts like JVR, Hayes, Voracek, and everybody else, you know, Lindblom, Abi Kubel, Lazinski, you know, they're not going to do anything, and they're not moving the needle in a trade, Scott Lawton. You know, and, and guys like Farabee is one of the few guys that you should actually be building around on this team right now. Exactly. At four, at, at the only thing you have at forward is Travis Konechny as a trade chip, and on defense, it's Sanheim and Myers. And those are probably very good trade chips. I know those are three guys that I hate the most, but you know those are guys that you can plop on a deep team like Tampa, and they'd find massive success because they're playing in roles that they can swim in. You know, they're not trying to put them as you know number two defensemen when they're not ready for it, or top line right wing and they're not ready for it. You know, that's what you need. And and I know people get angry, but like that's what it is. Though those are your most valuable trade chips this team has. So when I see you know even Morgan Frost, like he was one of the guys in that 
supposed Eichel trade today, and it's like, what kind of trade value does Morgan Frost that's have right now? That's another thing. Like, he did great in juniors. He struggled like hell during his first pro season, then he survived four periods this year before shattering his shoulder and ended the year. You know, he's got no success at the, the professional level. You know, he, there's no way his value is as high today as it was two years ago before he had a chance to get to the pro level. I'm sure some team would take a risk on him, but... You know, for the Flyers fans that love the guy, I ask you this. Who's the Kings' top prospect right now? What do they look like Byfield. offensively? What are they doing? What are they, You know, try and give me an in-depth analysis of another team's top prospect in their system, and I guarantee you couldn't do it. The only reason anybody knows who Morgan Frost is is because he's a flyer and we overhype our own prospects. You know, who's Minnesota's top prospect? Who's Dallas' top prospect? Anybody know? I don't, not without looking it up. You know, nobody knows who the fuck Morgan Frost is. You know, so, I don't know. That that What was that trade? Was it Konechny, Ghost, Frost, and a first? Uh, I believe so, which is just completely asinine. Because that's the other thing about Jack Eichel is that, and we've said it how many times, that even if Chuck Fletcher went to move mountains, like, just because the Flyers don't have a young center to offer up, I just don't see it happening. Because let's take L.A., for example. If L.A. shows up and said, we'll give you Gabe Velarde, Alex Turcotte, and a first-round pick, what are the Flyers going to match with that? You know, even if you say Konechny, Frost, a first, and Cam York, you know, they're still going to be like, well, we still don't have a center right now. Like, maybe Morgan Frost could get there. Or, like, I really think that Minnesota is a team that could come in and really, like, do something big and get Jack Eichel. Because if they show up and they say, we'll, we'll offer Joel Erickson-Eck and Marco Rossi, like, how could the Flyers match that? Or the Rangers show up and say, okay, we'll offer up uh, Capo Caco, Brett Howden, uh, I don't know, uh, one of their defensemen and a first-round pick. Like, that's the problem I have with even fantasizing about a yeah. Jack Eichel trade is because the only thing that I could really see making this deal work is if you included Sean Katori and he agreed to an extension before he got traded. But even at that, how much is that going to move the needle? Because he's going to be 29 next, like in a couple months. So yeah. it's just, I don't see a way how this trade is facilitated on numerous fronts, but I think it also goes to show you that after all these years of drafting and all these years developing, the Flyers are still so vastly behind teams who rebuilt at the same time, like the Kings, like the even the Ducks. They're going to be a player for Jack Eichel, like the Rangers, like many. Like, these are teams that have so much better currency. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The fact that the Flyers, that Ron Hextall drafted, I think it was... I think it was like 14 times in the in in the top two rounds over five drafts, and he did not take one player that translated into an NHL centerman to this point is embarrassing. Yep. Like, how did you do all that investing on drafting and developing, and not get one guy who became a top nine he centerman? Took risks. He drafted fucking German Rubsov and Jay O'Brien. That's why. But it's the, the, the trade value there with the Eichel thing, just real quick, like, if the Flyers were in a bubble and negotiating with the Sabres one-on-one, -on -one, could they get a package together to make it work? Yeah, probably. 
if you throw 10 other teams in there that want Jack Eichel, can the Flyers throw a package together to get him? Probably not. As you mentioned, the Rangers, the Wild, all these teams that have that are you know overflowing with decent prospects and talent that they can manage to lose. And it's like, I don't think the Flyers stand a chance. The only way this is going to work if Eichel like wants to come to Philadelphia, you know. Outside of that, I don't think it's. I I, I don't know. It's it's a dream. I hope it happens, but I just don't see a way where you know reality comes around and this guy's in orange and black next season. But it's. And we've said this so many times that it's because if you trade Jack Eichel, then you gotta make the salary work. And okay, if you're if you're giving up that much talent, maybe they take back Shane Goss's beer, and you're hoping Seattle takes JVR. But it's it just always comes back to the same thing that we've been saying since last October when you've you know brilliantly come up with the term fundamentally broken because every big move takes like another additional move to like free up the roster space and okay now we need to make the cap work and long-term outlook like when they signed Danny Briere they just had to sign him and move on with their lives because they had just moved on from Peter Forsberg and that was the salary and guys like Richards and Carter were still on their ELCs and they could kick that can down the road and then you know as the season like progressed they moved on from guys like Jason Smith and Joffrey Lupul to Brian Pronger. Like now it's like you have all these veterans tied in on big money contracts for the foreseeable future that how and you still have guys like Travis Sanheim who's gonna need a new deal, Carter Hart needs a new new deal, next year Farabee's gonna need a new deal, and then you still have JVR under contract, Voracek under contract. Gosses beer under contract, you know, what's going to, uh, Kevin Hayes under contract, what's going to become of, you know, Claude Giroux and Sean Couture when their contracts are up this time next year? Like, it's, there's just so many moving parts and this situation is just so fucked up. Like, I, I don't even understand how it got to this point. You know, Ron Hextall, and I hate to keep coming back to him, but it's all his fault. No one will ever convince me otherwise. <laughs> but his job was to clear cap space and rebuild the defense. And he accomplished neither. No. Nope. Like, okay, he did for a cup of coffee with the cap space, but, you know, he cleared out Grossman. Um, what did he do? He cleared out Grossman. Uh, what other contracts did he move? Uh, well, not Andrew McDonald. He kept fucking McDonald around till the bitter end. Then Fletcher bought him out. Yeah. LeCavalier. I guess he was Hartnell, but then he replaced him with fucking Umberger, who he bought out anyway. Yeah, that's a wash. So he really cleared out Grossman, Pronger, and LeCavalier. You know, he just replaced Hartnell with Umberger, which was arguably worse, hung on to Hamilton. And then sign the three worst contracts that are currently on the team today. Yes. So what did he accomplish there? And then to your point, he was supposed to replenish the defense. And that's the biggest concern now. <laughs> Eight years the... later and nothing has changed. We're in the same shitty state of question marks we were back then. But now you've gotten this point where like, it's just, it's so like, I don't like, it used to be at a point where I thought that they were a piece or two away, like in 17-18. Like 2017-18, I truly believe that if they had a starting goaltender and two other legitimate defensemen, they could have made some moves and not Dave Haxall as coach. But now it's like with these guys getting older and these contracts, and that's another thing. I believe it was Bill Melcher who told me this once, 
where he said the fact that they did not capitalize on the ELC years of Provorov and Konechny and Sanheim, like, that's criminal. Yep. Like, there are so many teams that win cups because of those ELC years. Like, the Blackhawks in 2010, that super team was because guys like Kane and Taze were on ELCs. And now we just have this situation where I don't even know anymore, man. Like, do you think that this situation can be saved this summer? It needs to be, and this is one of those things, like, I can make all this work. It's not impossible to fix this team and make it happen, but it takes so many moves and so many dominoes to fall that the reality of it happening, you know, the the, the, the odds of it happening in real life are so slim. You know, you can get Hamilton and Jones, but then you need to clear out Voracek and whatever that takes for, you know, Seattle to take him. Then you have to replace your forward depth and you have to find a top center. Now you got Eichel in his contract and it's like, it's not impossible. Financially, you could make it all work, but the steps to get there are so impossible that it just doesn't stand a chance. And and this is it's where I throw my hands up in the air and just <laughs> give up, you know, because it's we're going to hear it and this is, you know, whether they go down the summer of of 2019 or they add one big name and a couple small names this summer, but like I don't think anything they do is going to be substantial. There's just too many holes to fill that need too many big names to fill them that I don't think you're going to get away with another Justin Braun. You know, your team may be better slightly, but it's just it's not going to do it in the grand scheme of things. You can probably build a team that makes them a playoff team, a playoff caliber team. They can sneak back in as a second wild card spot. But like, is it enough to go deep? And I just don't think so. And, uh, I think that's where the frustration comes from. And that's why I want them to shoot for such a big move for somebody like Eichel or, you know, Eichel and Reinhardt or Seth Jones and Hamilton. Like, it's going to take that caliber of move to take them from a bubble team to a legitimate contender versus just a bubble team on the outside looking into a bubble team on the inside looking in that's going to be eliminated in the first round. I'm just happy to, or excited rather, to get, like, the offseason underway. That's it, because we are really running out of stuff to really dissect here. Yeah, I'm excited. I can stop theorizing about the trades and get angry that nothing actually happened. <laughs> brand new content. Brand new content. Brand new yeah. brands, brand new swearing. Like, <laughs> everything just brand fucking new. It'll be a great season four, Brotherly Pod, that's for sure. Oh, shit, season four, eh, man? Congrats. So, like, yeah, season four, four years in already. Sweet well, Jesus. us, it's... Two years we've been working together since Something our like uh, yeah. since our divorce with our old platform. Our old site. Yeah. <laughs> they, they suck. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is my first of three shows today. <laughs> They'll be much more spread out for you, the listener. But for me, it's going to be one after another here. Um, so, yeah. Uh, at Dan the Flyer Van, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Got a piece on the Richards Carter trades up now i think it's like 2500 words or something i just ranted my little heart out in that piece so check it out plenty of content up there and uh, anthony where can people find you on twitter you can find me at adamarker25 all right everybody until next time goodbye and good night Damn!